everyone, I'm Michaela Wallach. I'm Casey Young. And I'm Anjali Jathabedam. Welcome to our first episode of the Let's Get Political podcast. Let's get political, political. I want to get political. Let's get into politics. So what are we talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about the history of slaves, oppression, and how this contributed to systemic racism. Yes, just letting you guys know this is part one of our Black Lives Matter series. We felt that there was too much to discuss in just one 30-minute episode. You guys can listen in any order, but we recommend listening chronologically in the order of the episode's release. Michaela, would you like to start? Sure. We are going to begin our timeline with the beginning of slavery in the United States. Slavery in America was born in 1619 when 20 slaves were brought to Jamestown, Virginia. These 20 slaves were seized by a privateer from a Portuguese slave ship. In the United States, slavery was mostly used on the South Coast as a cheap labor source. Slaves mainly worked on tobacco, indigo, and rice plantations. Though it's impossible to determine the exact numbers, historians have estimated around 6 to 7 million slaves were brought to North America in just the 18th century. The largest contributor to this number of slaves was the Atlantic slave trade. The Atlantic slave trade occurred between Europe, Africa, and the Americas, in which slaves, weapons, coffee, sugar, and textiles were distributed. The main way slaves arrived to the Americas from Africa was through the Middle Passage. The Middle Passage was just one part of the Atlantic slave trade, where Africans were forcibly put on ships to endure a journey that could last up to 90 days. The death rate on the Middle Passage was a grim 14%. These ships were extremely overcrowded, had poor resources for the slaves, and the captors treated the slaves disgustingly. Slaves had to cope with sexual, psychological, and physical abuse from their captors. Beatings, murder, and rape were a regular part of these journeys. Male slaves were kept shackled together for the entire journey and had nowhere near enough space to live. Many died in the cramped positions they were stepped into. People also died of starvation and extremely hot temperatures due to their due to the summer months. Another high cause of death was disease which spread rapidly. Conditions on these ships were so gruesome, many Africans attempted to commit suicide. Some did so by trying to starve themselves or jump off the sides of the ship. However, because the enslavers received money for the amount of slaves they brought to land, they did their best to make sure that the attempted suicides failed. Slaves were force-fed if they chose to starve themselves, and netting was added to the sides of the ships to prevent slaves from jumping off. Once in the Americas, slaves were faced with heinous consequences for attempts to reach freedom. Runaway slaves that were caught faced the possible punishments of flogging or whipping, being branded, jailed, being sold back into slavery, or death. Branding is a process of burning a mark into the skin in order to create a permanent scar. To accomplish this, extremely hot branding irons were used. Branding a person marks them as if they are property or an animal. If a slave attempted to reach freedom again and was caught, the branding was used to identify them. Many people are taught that slaves' calm, docile, and content attitudes were the reason they never tried to rebel, but that's entirely untrue. Slaves tried revolting many times. The biggest slave revolt was Stoneham's Rebellion that took place in South Carolina in 1739. There were over 100 insurrections against slave owners. Slaves fought for over a week before the uprising was ended by the English. After the American Revolution, many people in the North began to draw connections to the oppression of slaves to the way they were oppressed by the British. 
This was the beginning of a call for slavery's abolition. In 1780, the first act to abolish slavery, known as the Gradual Emancipation Act, was passed to gradually free slaves in Pennsylvania. The act put a partial end to the lack of social, social mobility slaves faced, but did not immediately make slavery illegal. Eventually, all northern states adopted the same gradual emancipation model. However, some found ways out of the regulations. One of such people was none other than the first president of the United States, George Washington. Washington was advised that by rotating his slaves out every six months, he could hold on to them for periods of time, contrary to the regulations defined by Gradual Emancipation Act. So, out of his own volition, George Washington did just that. After the government realized that people could get around the regulations, they started amending it, and this act ultimately led to the start of a free African-American population. Although this might seem like a large step forward, one African-American was considered three-fifths of a person, according to the U.S. Constitution. The three-fifths compromise was the result of a disagreement between the northern and southern states when it came to the representation when it came to representation in Congress. Although southern states did not want slaves to be counted on their census because of tax purposes, they wanted slaves to be counted in their representation in court. More representation in court translates to more power in Congress, which is what the South felt they needed the most. However, the northern states did not want the southern states to count their slaves because they would lose power due to their lack of slaves. The result of this disagreement was a three-fifths compromise. This means that in the United States Census, every five slaves would be counted as three people, and those three people were represented in Congress. This compromise reeked of irony because the South wanted their slaves to be represented just so they could keep more slaves. And the three-fifths compromise was really important in the nation's history because lots of our history would not have been the same without it. We would have had different presidents, certain acts would not have been passed, and the Civil War would not have been as delayed as it was. The, the Three-Fifths Compromise was later nullified with the 13th Amendment. Even though slavery was outlawed in the North in 1805, slavery was still a vital element for the Southern agricultural economy. The slave trade flourished from then on and nearly tripled in the Americas in the next 50 years. By 1860, slaves in America have reached numbers up to 4 million. Slavery was completely abolished in North and South on December 18, 1865. While slavery, was, while slavery was going on, the first ever police was created, but it was called the Slave Patrol. And the first one was created in 1704 in the Carolina colonies. They were tasked to chase down runaway slaves and to prevent slave revolts. Historian Gary Potter describes the three main roles of slave patrols. Quote, one, to chase down, apprehend, and return to their owners, runaway slaves. Two, to provide a form of organized terror to deter slave revolts. And three, to maintain a form of discipline. Another historian describes the first law enforcement as a way for white patrollers to, quote, watch, catch, and beat slaves. Even though slave patrols technically ended with the abolition of slavery, their influence did not stop there. Historians have drawn parallels between legal slave patrols before the Civil War and terrorist organizations, such as the Ku Klux Klan, during Reconstruction. After the Civil War, the police even acted similar to the slave patrol. They were there to primarily enforce segregation of black and white people. 
They also were responsible for the disenfranchisement of freed slaves after the abolition of slavery. It's so terrible that slavery lasted that long, over 400 years. Right, and black people in America weren't even as seen as equal. When slavery was abolished, even today, over 100 years later, some people don't see African Americans as equal. Another thing that I think people often forget is that although Abraham Lincoln was against slavery, he still thought that black and white people weren't equal. He said in a debate at Charleston, quote, I will say that then I am not, nor ever have been, in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the black and white races. He even went on to say that he disagreed with black people having the right to vote, to serve on juries, to hold political positions, and to intermarry with white people. Yeah, and not to mention that many people often forget that many of our founding fathers and presidents were slave owners. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Andrew Jackson, to name a few. After slavery was abolished, black codes were put into place. The black codes were local and state laws that completely controlled the lives of African Americans. They outlined rules about how African Americans could work and their compensation, where they could live, and disallowed voting rights. Unsurprisingly, the court system was also stacked against the African-American population. Ex-Confederate soldiers served as judges, making it impossible for black people to win court cases and ensuring that they were oppressed through the black code. In addition, African-Americans had to serve longer sentences than white people for crimes of the same level. Following the black codes were the Jim Crow laws. These laws prohibited African-Americans from voting, getting higher-level education, and high-level jobs. The Ku Klux Klan, or KKK, was a prominent white supremacist organization formed during the Jim Crow laws. The KKK terrorized black communities by destroying their schools, murdering African-American citizens, and forcing them off their land. The Jim Crow laws began the long-lasting segregation between white and black people. White and black people could not play cards together, play dice or dominoes together, let alone marry. In fact, any marriage in which a white person was to marry someone who was one-eighth African-American, Chinese, or Japanese was void. Those who attempted to disobey these laws were faced with arrest, fines, jail sentences, violence, and death. In some states, almost every thinkable thing was separated. That includes textbooks, Bibles to swear on, public polls, and clergy. It wasn't uncommon to see signs saying that African-Americans were unwelcome in the area. The Jim Crow laws were in place for about 100 years. That's right, a hundred years of segregation. During the era of the Jim Crow laws, another system known as redlining was put into place. Redlining began in the 1930s when government surveyors graded areas and neighborhoods based on their predominant ethnicity. It was said that anyone who was not Northern European degraded the value of an area. Areas that were predominantly occupied by minorities were redlined. To be redlined means to be labeled by the federal government as had hazardous and risky. On the contrary, predominantly white neighborhoods were labeled as best or desirable. This was done after the Great Depression to ensure that African Americans were left out of suburban communities and were forced into urban housing projects like the Detroit Brewster Douglas Towers. People in redline areas had very difficult times receiving loans, and these low-income minorities were unable to move out to other places that could help, help them get higher positions in society. Redlining has only increased the racial wealth gap. Yeah, and a year later, in 1934, President Franklin D. Roosevelt created the New Deal. This was to boost the economy and the middle class was born. They did this by creating low interest loans. 
Sounds great, but what did the New Deal actually do? FTR's New Deal imprinted racial inequality for generations and generations to come. Yeah, and oh my gosh, what did the Federal Housing Administration do? They created separate public housing for black and white people. And how did they do that? Well, the underwriting manual, which was the FHA's manual for bankers, stated, and I quote, the prohibition of the occupancy of properties except for the races they are intended. That is so disgusting. I can't believe that it was only 90 years ago. There's another topic that I wanted to touch on, and it's about how the environment in low-income housing is significantly less safe than the environment in higher-income housing. A study done by the NAACP stated that two-thirds of black people in America live within 30 miles of a coal-fired power plant, and that's notably higher than white populations. You're right. Our government has intentionally separated black and brown neighborhoods from white neighborhoods for so long. The effects today are very prevalent. Those neighborhood schools are significantly underfunded and underdeveloped, and the land is also very much undervalued. Because the towns are so run down, it is inevitable that companies will move their environmental plants, toxic waste sites, and dangerous infrastructure sites to those areas. This is blatant systemic racism, and people are ignoring it. So listeners, you might be wondering, why is it this important? It is important because the system that was put in place many years ago still affects our society now. switch gears to the civil rights movement. Back in the 1940s, the civil rights movement was organized by black Americans with the objective of gaining equal rights and ending racial discrimination. This 20-year-long movement was represented by Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Malcolm X was the main figurehead for the black nationalist movement. His ideology, contrary to Martin Luther King Jr.'s, was that black Americans needed to fight for inequality by any means necessary. Martin Luther King Jr., however, was inspired by Mahatma Gandhi's nonviolent teachings. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X did not see eye to eye. Malcolm X mocked Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream speech, saying that African Americans would not just hold hands and find an easy compromise with people. They were supposed to revolt again. Malcolm X was charismatic, well-spoken, and a prominent part of the Nation of Islam. His best-selling book, the autobiography of Malcolm X later inspired the Black Power Movement. Malcolm X was the head of the Harlem Mosque and started a Nation of Islam newspaper. He spread his passion to end white racism and grew the Nation of Islam to 12 times the amount of members it had in 1955. Although Malcolm X was initially for the separation of races, a religious trip to Mecca made him, quote, reappraise the white man. From then on, Malcolm X took a new approach towards the fight against oppression. Malcolm X was on the FBI's radar since his early 20s. The FBI attempted to find many ways to discredit him, but post-prison, Malcolm X stuck strictly to the law. Some scholars believe that the FBI deliberately let the Nation of Islam assassinate Malcolm X in 1965 after he announced his split from the Nation of Islam. So what is the importance of Malcolm X? Malcolm X has been a very important symbol for African Americans and for many years, and he was a li leader in the civil rights movement. Yet he is very undertaught in many American schools. Here are some of his speeches. We are oppressed. 
we are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. That was a short clip from one of Malcolm X's speeches. The next clip is Malcolm X's answer on how to end racism in America. It's not the black man's country. Definitely American laws not. No, are no. not black men's laws. No. So, I, uh, American laws are not the black man's laws. Well, the, the uh, laws here in America were made white by white people for the benefit of white people. The Constitution was written by whites for the benefit of whites. It was never written for the benefit of blacks. And, and when you read the Constitution, I think in Article 1, se- Section Article 1, Section 2, or Section 1, Article 1, some one of the two, and it's in the Constitution, it says that uh, it classifies black people as three-fifths of a man. Three-fifths of a man, subhuman, less than a human being. It relegates us to the level of cattle, hogs, chickens, cows, a commodity that could be bought and sold at the will of the master. No, it was written by whites for the benefit of whites and to the detriment of blacks. And when a black man stands up talking about his constitutional rights, he's out of his mind. So the only solution is separation. And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that this can be brought about simply by letting our people be exposed to the truth about ourselves, about the white man, about our history and our condition in this country. And once we are exposed to the complete truth as things about things as they actually exist in this country, the masses of black people will choose complete separation from this entire system, political system, economic system, social system, and whatever other aspect or description you, or, or uh, uh, adjective you want to attach to it. Let us go back home to our own people, live among our own kind, and solve our own problems ourselves. And if the white man doesn't want us to go back to our own people and live in our own country, then since we can't get along together in peace on this country with white people, let us separate part of this continent, migrate to that separate territory, let the government give us everything we need to establish our own independent economic system and society, and thereby we'll be able to solve our own problems ourselves and prove that we are human beings and a part of the human family and can do for ourselves what other humans have done for themselves. And then we'll be able to stop blaming the white man for what he has done and stop begging the white man to solve our problems. We'll be able to solve our problems ourselves. In the next part of this Black Lives Matter series, we'll have an in-depth discussion about the American school system and their flaws in representing Black Americans. The final part of today's podcast will be about the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers, or Black Panther Party, was a political organization formed to confront and end police brutality towards Black people. The party was founded by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, who challenged the celebration of Pioneer Day. Pioneer Day celebrated the white pioneers that came to the West Coast in the 19th century. Newton and Seale formed the Negro History Fact Group to oppose the obvious omission of African Americans' participation in this milestone. This group, according to History.com, quote, called on the school to offer classes in black history. The Black Panther Party itself began as a result of Malcolm X's assassination. And after Matthew Johnson, an unarmed black team, was killed by the police, by 1968, their influence expanded to 2,000 people across the nation. The Black Panthers' political views were outlined in their 10-point program. This program demanded justice for all and an end to police brutality. 
1969, the FBI declared the party to be an enemy of the United States government due to several violent encounters. Later that year, Chicago police killed two Black Panther members in their sleep. The party was officially dissolved in 1982. Please keep in mind that we are only sharing a small snapshot of Black history in the United States. We highly encourage you to do further research on the Civil Rights Movement and Martin Luther King Jr. Redlining, police brutality, and so much more. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will take a look at what the Black Lives Matter movement means today, explain systemic racism, and how you can be actively anti-racist. So, with redlining, racism within the college admissions, racism in employers, then and now, and systemic racism, racism just pollutes our economy and society, and you cannot deny that these practices have weighed down Black Americans for generations. The Black Lives Matter movement is a movement to end these racist systems and to get justice for Black Americans who were unjustly killed by police brutality. So now we're going to um, answer some questions and like do a little discussion. So how do these past how do these past events relate to now? Well, these these past events relate to now because they're still affecting our systems and institutions today, and you know, changes have been long overdue, and, you know, it's not acceptable that that racism has just been normalized for all this time. And we can also see that some of the history that went on a long time ago, it parallels what's happening now. For example, with the Black Panthers, it started when Malcolm X was assassinated, and now the Black Lives Matter movement is, is starting again after George Floyd's murder. Yeah, and it, that just shows, like, how, how like, history is kind of just, like, repeating itself because people, like, because black Americans, black people, people haven't gotten justice yet, and there are still huge problems, and racism still is so, like, prevalent and, like, still a huge issue now. Racism has obviously been an issue for a long time. Why haven't these issues been solved yet? So I think, like, when slavery ended, racism didn't end. When segregation ended, racism didn't end. I think it's still a big issue because people are still uncomfortable talking about race and aren't comfortable confronting their implicit biases. And right now, we still have the issue with casual racism and, like, white teenagers are, like, using the N-word for no reason. And, like, people are making making microaggressions about race and, like, like making offensive comments and like normalizing racism and it's not okay like one example is um the fox eye trend um and like i knew emma chamberlain did it and like it was a whole thing and then like i saw like people from the high, was it the hype house like the sway house did it in an instagram post so that's like one example of like casual racism yeah and people are just defending it when it's not even racist to them which is, I think they shouldn't do that because they don't know the story behind it. Yeah, if someone is telling you that something's racist, then you don't even need to defend yourself. You can, you have to just stop doing whatever you're doing. Yeah, like I, I was coming into, um, I was talking with someone and um, they were trying to, to trying to defend how um, what Trump said about the coronavirus and how Trump called it the um, the Chinese virus and the person that I was talking to was defending him, saying it was just something stupid he said. I kept telling that person 
no, that is racist. And, um, pe- like, people that I know, like, and I've heard Asian people say that it's racist, so I know that it's racist. And you can't just say it's not when, like, like so many Americans, so, so many Asian people have said that it is racist. Yeah, yeah, and it's just not... You can't deny what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just not a stupid little thing. He's literally the president of the United States. And he can't say those things. Yeah, yeah, and he jokes like that. Yeah, and he, like, the Kung Flu... Did he say that, or, like, um, he said that, right? Yeah, he said that. Yeah. Yeah, he said that. In his rally. In his rally. So, um, he's blatantly racist, and to just say something stupid he said is completely untrue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he he also influences a lot of people. So they're going to think that it's fine to say that and it's normal to say that, which is another reason why that racism is still present. Yeah, our own president. Yeah, our our president is an example. And with that person, she thought that it was just something stupid to say because it was the president saying it. But because it was our president, someone who, like, like, is someone who's supposed to be looked up to, kids are going to think that it's okay because he's our president and people and his followers are also going to think it's okay yeah and there was something that trump said at his rally i'm not sure if it's a chinese virus but he said something and later all of his um like advisors were telling the news sources that he was just joking and then the news sources like asked asked him and he said he wasn't joking so he's He's clearly being serious about the stuff, and he really doesn't understand anything, and it's just, just being ignorant. Yeah, it just shows that, like, people are defending him because he's the president, when he, his word should not be excused. Yeah. So, if people thought slavery was wrong, why did the U.S. enforce segregation? Um, so, it's, like, the similar question to, like, the question before. It's, like... Racism doesn't just end it, it with racism didn't just end with slavery. It's still it's it was an issue with and that caused segregation and it's still an issue now. So um, I th- I think that's why that's why it's, the U.S. enforced segregation because people were so racist. Yeah, not only that, but I think in the beginning Malcolm X also enforced segregation because he didn't want black. He didn't want black Americans to mix with people that were treating them like property and animals. And white Americans didn't want to mix with people that they believed were animals. So that just made segregation persist. Yeah. But he, he came around with the, any, um, didn't he change his mind? Yeah, he changed yeah. his mind. But he still, he still wasn't completely for, like, integrating the races yeah and i see where i like i see where he's coming from because like for for like for black people to come out and say we just want to be equal is that's like a actually like a huge statement because they were seriously slavery is that is like that is like i can't even fathom like like how someone could think that another human is inferior that they should be treated like that so for for even the black community to like come out and say hey we just want to be equal that's actually like a like them being the bigger person you know 
Yeah, exactly. And in some of the audio clips I was listening to about Malcolm X, he was saying how he just wants he just he just wants equality, and if he's not going to get equality, he wants to show white Americans that like his people are equal by creating their own by creating their own nation and setting it up properly and not having the same problems that the United States did have. Yeah, like I guess he he wanted to like not he wasn't like comfortable with being in the same place as people who were like so aggressive and mean to them and force them into slavery. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, why would you want to be with someone who has really hurt you and your family, your ancestors? Like, I under- I really understand his opinion. Yeah, and, like, another thing that um is, like, so terrible is that, like, black, black people don't even, like, in America, they don't even, like, don't even know their ancestors. Like, White people, we, we have the privilege of knowing who our ancestors were, and we can trace our lineage back by generations, and that's something they can't do because they were brought here, and they their ancestors didn't know their last names. They didn't even know, like, their birthdays or their age, so, like, that's another, like, privilege. Uh, that's kind of random. That's, that's kind of random, but I just thought it was something that, like, a lot of people didn't know, which is, I think people should know that. Why should schools in America teach black history? Yeah, exactly. The answer is like really obvious. Black history makes up American history. And we can't just ignore like um, black history is American history. I think if we taught kids from a young age about redlining and which I wasn't taught, I had to teach that to myself. Um, and I just found out about that like a couple months ago. So, and if we just rewrite the history books, with facts, no matter how disturbing or how uncomfortable it is to talk about, it would significantly change our biases. I think we also need more more representation as well as in our education system. Yeah, exactly. The answer is like really obvious. Black history makes up American history. And we can't just ignore like the impact that black people have had on our nation. It's also so wrong that our school systems are changing the facts or just completely omitting them and making things seem like they weren't as terrible as they were. Yeah, they're just trying to like teach people that, oh, America was so good. It was never bad, which I think is really wrong. I think that teaching us black history will also help us with our self-development because it'll teach us that like, we can do wrong things, but we can also fix them later on. Does that make sense? No, that, that's, a, that's a really good message. So one of the things that we were talking about before is how our school systems are teaching us about slaves that were singing in the fields, and they, they made it seem like these, these slave songs were happy and cheerful, but they really weren't happy at all. They were, they were sad songs, and they are only doing it so they can get through this terrible terrible work that they were forced into yeah i was i remember being taught about like the slave songs um like in elementary school but it wasn't until eighth grade when i took a music class and that i actually learned that like their songs were like like sad songs like and music was something that helped them like 
survive. Like, and their songs were like, like I just think that it's like so like horrified, which is awful. And another thing, the graphic that shows the melting pot is like everybody, all kinds of races, everybody in a huge pot, and then it's like the Statue of Liberty or like um, uh, an American, or like somebody like that, like stirring the pot, and like I think that's such a racist image, and and I'll tell you why because. We shouldn't, like, try to blend together. We shouldn't try to, like, everybody, like, all the races shouldn't try to conform to, like, I don't know, like, try to conform to, like, American. Like, everybody has their own culture, and that's the beauty of America because everybody has different backgrounds and everybody is, like, everybody is different. We should, like, acknowledge that instead of trying to put everybody in a melting pot. Yeah, saying that we're a melting pot is taking away people's histories and their cultures, and it's making it seem like they're being forced into this, like, American culture. Yeah. And, I and, that, and that Americans are, like, superior or something. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to put them in a box where they can only be, like, American and show, like, oh, the American flag and not their own culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that these people in history that own slaves should be on our dollar bills? I understand why people would want to have them on our dollar bills, but at the same time, I don't think they should be. Because, you know, this is American money. The money belongs to everyone. And the people on our dollar bills, like, they don't represent the American population. Like, not all of us are white men. So that needs to be changed to actually fit who, who, what America is made of. Yeah, and putting them on the dollar bills just makes them seem like these good people that are very influential and that we should be like, which is like, I don't think we should be like them at all because they're very racist. Yeah, Andrew Jackson's on a $20 bill. He... <laughs> I don't even want to get into it, but he, like, he killed so many Native Americans with the Trail of Tears. I mean, the name speaks for itself, so, like, that should not be someone that we look up to at all. Yeah, so a lot of, I I completely agree, and a lot of Republicans, um, or people that, like, are against, like, taking down Confederate statues, they like to say that these people were our founding fathers, these people, um, we're war heroes or this or that, but like these people or that, or they'll say like owning slaves back then was normal. That was what was normal for them or being racist was normal for them. But these people and their values and their morals don't apply today. Sure, they they were founding fathers and they founded our country, but they have their place in a history book. They have their place in a textbook. They don't, you don't have to look at them every day. Their morals don't apply to us right now. Are we still, like, do, or does our country still have slavery? No. So why do we have to have people that own slaves on our bills that we have to look at every day? Yeah, the times have changed. Like, we can't just be stuck in the past like that. Yeah, and we should have people that inspire us and that we can relate to and that everybody can relate to. Like, having a woman like Harriet Tubman on the dollar bill, she was, like, an amazing person. And her, again, her morals still stand today, fighting for equality. So I think that we should change.
Yeah, she was yeah. there in the Underground Railroad, like, doing her best to free slaves from the South, and, like, that's, that's hard work and dedication and, like, fighting for what, what you believe in. I heard about this on, like, social media, and there was something, like, like much bigger. Like, she helped during the war, but no one talks about that history book. Oh, yeah, she was a soldier, wasn't she? I think she was, like, a soldier. I didn't know that. She was a soldier and a spy for the Union Army during the Civil War. And she was the first woman to lead an armed military operation in the United States. And That's amazing. What was known as the Cam Combe Ferry Raid. That's amazing. Why weren't we ever taught that? I never... Uh, I had to look it up. The only thing that we're taught is that she was in the Underground Railroad. That's it. Yeah, we're even talking about the Underground Railroad. Like, yeah, we only knew the basic facts. Yeah, same. Like, she seems like a badass. She was a spy. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, she needs to replace Andrew Jackson. Yeah. I want to say one more thing. So they taught us in school how George Washington's teeth were like wood or something, but they were actually slaves' teeth. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, that's just another really way of sugarcoating it. Yeah, like, yeah, that's lies. Yeah, not even sugarcoating, just straight-up lies. Exactly. <laughs> so, guys, that's it for our episode. Thank you all for listening. And tune in for next week, where we're going to talk about the Black Lives Matter today and all stuff like that. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.